This is Bible Chat. Hey guys, and uh, welcome to the third episode of Bible Chat. I'm your host, Caleb Sowers, and I'm really excited to get into this. Uh, first, I just wanted to take time to thank all of you who have interacted with the Facebook page and have uh, been commenting, liking, and sharing the content on there, uh, especially those of you who are voting in the polls and helping to just decide what we're going to be doing here at Bible Chat as far as uh, episode content and subjects and all of that stuff. Uh, it really does mean a lot to me. Um, I've always wanted to have a podcast where people interacted. I just thought that that would bring something different, you know, um, because we're all at different stages in our Christian growth. We're all at different stages uh, just along the way in life. And so there's different things that we don't know or we don't understand or that we're curious about. And, you know, if I just stick to the things that interest me, um, who knows? I mean, you guys may not have any interest in what's going on at all. So I've always wanted to take that approach, uh, even as a teacher, uh, just doing something different getting into the other person's head and, and looking at the things that they want to learn about, what they want to study, uh, where the, what they struggle with, those sort of things. That's it's always been my approach. So with the close of the poll yesterday, <clears throat> um, Bible characters came out at 100%. Nobody voted for the fruits of the Spirit whatsoever, um, which was a little bit surprising to me, but, you know, uh, that's fine. So the next eh, two or three episodes probably will be on Bible characters, and um, I'll uh, I'll admit that I'm going to be kind of random on the ones that I pick. But um, this will be our first episode that's shaped by that, and I'm going to talk about Jonah. I think that's a character we all know, um, but maybe. Hopefully, I'll be able to bring out some unique things about Jonah that um, maybe will uh, bring some new understanding to him. So, without further delay, here we go. Now, most of you know that I'm a minister uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. I think I mentioned that in the introduction episode. Uh, I'm a licensed minister in the Church of the Nazarene. And the Church of the Nazarene has a pretty fantastic history. Um, and we also have our church manual that really breaks down a lot of our statements of faith, our articles of faith, our um, stances when it comes to different things and some of our history. And the, the manual of the Church of the Nazarene states that the Church of the Nazarene recognizes all believers 
are called to minister to all people. And I love that statement. I love it because it really sums up how the Church of the Nazarene from its earliest days really felt the burden of the Great Commission. And from the very beginning, they wanted to follow that call and spread the gospel across the entire world. Uh, In his book, which, by the way, I'm going to uh, recommend this week, our watchword in song, Stan Ingersoll states that Nazarenes took Matthew 28, 19-20 as their Great Commission. A firm belief in the eternal lostness of all people apart from faith in Christ, coupled with the desire to obey Christ pushed missions forward. A little while ago, I finished my class on the history and polity of the Church of the Nazarene. Like I said, I'm actively in in school right now. I'm about two years away from graduating with my bachelor's degree in theology. And uh, most of you uh, probably don't know that I didn't grow up in the Church of the Nazarene. I actually grew up in uh, independent independent Baptist churches. And um, it was actually as a result of my wife bugging me uh, to find us a church once we were married, that uh, I wound up uh, visiting the church that I'm currently a member of and um, ended up joining and then pursuing ministry uh, in the Church of the Nazarene. And there's always one thing that I've, I have loved about the Nazarene since I first started um, learning about the church and everything through the membership classes and all that, and that's that they were always so devoted from the very beginning of the church to the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is, of course, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Church of the Nazarene, all the way back in 1908, grabbed onto that, and stamped it on their heart, fully believing this was their mission, all members embracing it and doing whatever they could to contribute to that call. And it worked. Within the first 20 years of the founding of the Church of the Nazarene, there were churches in Canada, India, Cape Verde, Japan, and those were soon followed by work in Africa, Mexico, China, the British Isles, Cuba, Central America, South America, Syria, and Palestine. Here in America, the Church of the Nazarene was distinguished by their willingness to minister to the homeless and alcoholics. This was in the age when alcoholism was beginning to be recognized as a true issue. After World War I, there was a dramatic rise in the abuse of alcohol among veterans. I mean, they had just witnessed and endured a war on a scale never before experienced. And one of the results of that was drunkenness. It was this issue that would give birth to both Prohibition and later to Alcoholics Anonymous. But before either of those two events occurred, the Church of the Nazarene was already on the scene. They were giving out blankets, feeding the homeless, ministering to those in need. The Church of the Nazarene was also instrumental in advocating for women's rights. And they publicly supported and pushed for the 19th Amendment in 1920, giving women the right to vote. The Church of the Nazarene has never been afraid to engage the culture, to affect society, to spread the gospel. And because of this, the Church of the Nazarene in just 110 years has become the largest church 
in the Wesleyan tradition with over 2.5 million members worldwide. And that just amazes me. How did just one church organization accomplish so much in such a relatively short amount of time? From 1908 to 2018, the Church of the Nazarene grew from roughly 10,000 members to 2.5 million, from 200 churches to over 30,000 worldwide. It really is amazing, even if you're not a member. And the answer is pretty simple. They did it by surrendering. They heard the call, the great commission given to every Christian, and they submitted. And I think that's the problem, not just in the Church of the Nazarene, but one that Christianity in general is facing today. Somewhere along the way, Christians stopped surrendering. They stopped selling out to Christ. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead, open to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. In Jonah, chapter 1, in just the first few verses, we read, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. And Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them from the Lord's presence. I think it would be fair to say that most of us, if not all of us, know the story of Jonah. We probably learned the basic story in Sunday school. We probably heard it taught and preached many times over the course of our lives. It's one of the most popular and widely told stories in the Bible, and because of this, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Um, I'm just going to touch on a couple points that I think are worth noting. We all know the highlights of the story. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach. Jonah hates Nineveh and refuses. He tries to sail away. There's a storm. Jonah gets tossed overboard and swallowed by a big fish. He prays while in the fish, and then he gets vomited up on shore after three days, goes to Nineveh, preaches, and the people all repent and turn to God. I mean, those are pretty much the basics. But I reread it not too long ago, and one question kind of stood out to me. I mean, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Is it because Jonah was full of sin? Was he deliberately rebelling against God? I mean, it's the way it gets taught most of the time. I mean, people make Jonah out to be this really unlikable, whiny person. But I don't think that's the issue. See, he was the prophet of God, which means that he was God's mouthpiece on earth. They're not any other examples of evil prophets being used by God, so it wouldn't make sense. In verse 2, here in chapter 1, tells us that the city was full of evil. So is that why he didn't want to go? I think it plays a part, but again, being the prophet of God, Jonah's entire purpose was to communicate God's word to people. And that pretty much always means confronting evil. So while it may play a part, I don't think that's entirely it either. 
But what if I told you that I think that Jonah's reason for not wanting to go to Nineveh was entirely legitimate? That if I were in his shoes, I would probably feel the same way. And I would feel pretty much the same way as Jonah because Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And you don't have to know that much about the Bible to know that the Assyrians were a thorn in the side of Israel all the way through the Old Testament. I mean, they were right there with the Persians, the Babylonians, and the Philistines. I mean, and there's more too because the Ninevites were absolutely renowned for how they treated their enemies, which, of course included the Hebrews. Historians actually have tablets written by various kings of Assyria in which the kings brag about the things that they did to people that they conquered. And it kind of helps to illustrate what Jonah must have felt about going there. I wanted to read some of what's been written down, so give me a moment here. I destroyed. I demolished. I burned. I took their warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes before their cities. I flayed the nobles as many as had rebelled and spread their skins out on the pile of dead corpses. Many of the captives I burned in a fire. Many I took alive. From some I cut off their hands to the right and from others I cut off their noses, their ears and fingers. I put out the eyes of many of the soldiers. I slew 260 fighting men. I cut off their heads and made pyramids thereof. I slew one of every two. I built a wall before the great gates of the city. I flayed the chief men of the rebels, and I covered the walls with their skins. Some of them were enclosed alive in the bricks of the wall, and some of them were crucified on stakes along the wall. I caused a great multitude of them to be flayed in my presence, and I covered the wall with their skins. I gathered together the heads in the form of crowns and their pierced bodies in the form of garlands. When you read that, <laughs> you can begin to understand a little of how Jonah must have felt when God told him to go to Nineveh. It was very much the same thing as asking a Jewish rabbi during World War II to go to Hitler's house and invite, invite him to temple. I mean, it was a death sentence. And so, what does he do? He runs away. And I kind of like the picture there. God comes to Jonah and says, Hey Jonah, I want you to preach to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah doesn't even say anything. You see that? It says he arose and fled the presence of God. And I get this mental picture of someone who is out and about at a store shopping. And they see their ex-girlfriend or boyfriend. And they pretend to talk on their phone and not notice them. Yeah, I was just thinking about heading down to Joppa and catching a, the next ship to Tarshish. I need a vacation. And he just goes. He doesn't even acknowledge God. He just He just goes. But it makes sense. In a way, at least, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure Jonah didn't envision his career ending as a wall covering. A human poster for some Ninevite kid. I mean, we can make the assumption that in everything else, Jonah was totally given over to God. I'm sure he prayed. He knew the scriptures. He loved his people. 
Jonah was devoted as much as we can tell because God is incredibly patient with him. But this one thing he held back. He wasn't completely sold out. In this area, he hadn't submitted. So here's the question. Where are you holding back? What has God demanded of you that you keep telling him no about? I think this is something that all of us are probably struggling with. I think it's something that all of Christianity struggles with. We've forgotten what it's about. And that is why we see all the things that we do going on in the world. We see the rise of immorality. We see the opioid epidemic. We hear again about sexual abuse in the church. We see denominations splitting over liberal issues. We see corrupt politicians flourishing in office. We see entertainment becoming more and more crude and filthy. And it isn't just in the world. It's in the church as well. I said it before, but actual church growth has been at a near standstill for almost 20 years. For all the new fancy churches springing up all over the place, only 90, almost 90% of new church memberships are transfers from another congregation. Most studies that you can find online are showing only 6 to 10% of new membership in any given denomination to be from new converts. And what does that mean? It means that people aren't getting saved. The gospel isn't getting preached. Souls are not being one for Christ. When you boil it down, it means a lot of Christians don't care enough about their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers, or their family to tell them about Jesus, which means that a lot of people are dying and being doomed to an eternity in hell. We, as the church, have become consumed with ourselves. I mean, sure, we said a prayer. We accepted Jesus into our hearts, but after that, what did we do? You see, God has a calling for all of us. Like I said at the beginning, the Church of the Nazarene takes a stand on the belief that every believer is called to minister to those around them. Every believer is supposed to spread the gospel. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he wasn't just talking to his disciples. He was talking to anyone that believed in him. We are all supposed to be ministers of his truth. We may not all be called to be missionaries, evangelists, teachers, or pastors, but we are all supposed to preach the gospel. And for some reason, the Western church stopped viewing that as an essential part of being a Christian. Christianity as a whole is viewed by people that are Christians as a private matter. We've taken the idea of a personal relationship and turned it into a secret. Christianity, by many believers' standard, is something where you said a prayer asking Jesus into your heart, and so now you try to live a good life. Sometimes you pray. Sometimes you read your Bible. Sometimes you go to church. Some people are a little more extreme, but by and large, that's it. We've all held back. We've blinded ourselves to the reality of what Christianity is supposed to be. So, getting back to our text, Jonah fled. While it may be intellectually understandable from a spiritual standpoint, it's not. If you 
boil it all the way down, Jonah, Jonah's desire for self-preservation outweighed his desire for spiritual intimacy with God. Look again at verse 3. What was Jonah running from? It says, from the presence of the Lord. And here we see a picture of so many of us today. Our desire to save face, our desire to keep our job, our desire to stay safe and warm and embarrassment-free keeps us out of the presence of God. When you look at it that way, we need to start asking why we are not experiencing the presence of God in our lives. Why is this church so spiritually impotent? Why is society guiding and impacting the church rather than the church impacting society? Why is the world falling apart? It's because God's people are more concerned with self than God. We cannot impact the world. We cannot see a change in the culture. We cannot win others for Christ if we do not carry his word to him, to them. We have to do it. No one's going to fulfill the calling that God places on your life unless you do it. See, when Jonah fled from God, God didn't go and get another person to preach to Nineveh. He could have, but that calling was for Jonah. If you read further in the story, you see that God causes a storm to rise up, and the boat to Tarshish gets caught in it. The sailors are terrified and wondering what they can do to rescue themselves, and through conversation and other things, everyone becomes comes to the conclusion that the best thing to do is to toss Jonah overboard. It's here that Jonah has his run-in with the big fish, gets swallowed, and three days later he finally breaks down and surrenders to God. There's a couple side notes here that really interest me, and I don't think I'm going to follow right now, but I just want to mention them. Did you notice that Jonah's solution to the issue is to be tossed into the ocean during a storm rather than telling the sailors to turn around and take him back? In other words, he was still so set against God that he would rather potentially drown than to submit. And that's like a lot of us again. We're so set in our ways, so attached to things and activities, that even though we know that they're probably the source of the problems in our lives, we keep them close rather than letting God have it. Addictions, habits, entertainment, friends, whatever it may be, we're so attached to that one thing keeping us away from God and his will that we would rather suffer than give it up. And it reminds me of a sermon I was preparing a while ago, and I was going to preach on Adam and Eve and what it really meant to make clothes out of fig leaves. I know I mentioned this just in the uh, two episodes ago or last episode. And you see, fig leaves cause that rash. They leave sores that rise three inches off the skin. They burn and break and can leave scars afterwards. But like Jonah, Adam and Eve weren't willing to admit that they were wrong. Jonah was willing to die to stay on his course. And Adam and Eve were willing to scar themselves and live in pain rather than admit they were wrong. We're really not that different. There's two other things to notice. The sailors didn't recognize Jonah as a prophet of God. 
They didn't know who he was. In fact, Jonah's the one that tells them to throw him overboard. They didn't know. And you have to ask yourself, with where you are right now in your life, do other people recognize you as a Christian? Moving a little further on, the sailors didn't turn to God until after Jonah was tossed overboard. If you see that after they throw him in, it's in verse uh, 15. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Verse 16, the men were seized by great fear of the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They, it wasn't the prophet that helped them turn to God. It wasn't the prophet that asked them to sacrifice to God. It wasn't the prophet. It wasn't until he was gone. And so often Christians can actually get in the way of other people's relationship to God. They actually become the stumbling block that keeps people from coming to God because their example of what Christianity is, is so powerless or sometimes so negative that people have no desire to pursue Christianity or pursue God in knowledge of God. So ask yourselves, are you keeping people from turning to God? But again, getting back on course, even after being tossed into the sea, even after being swallowed by the fish, Jonah's calling to preach to Nineveh didn't change. Jonah 1-2 and Jonah 3-2 give exactly the same directions. And this is actually a bit of encouragement. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you do. If you repent and you humble yourself, God has placed a calling on you, and it will not change. See, I was called to preach when I was 18 years old, but I didn't pursue it until I was 30. There is a calling that's placed on your life. And outside of very few, very, very few exceptions, that calling will not change. But here, we have to realize that we cannot be effective until we surrender to God. And here I wanted to read a quote again from Our Watchword and Song by uh, Stan Ingersoll that kind of captured the mindset of what it meant to to truly surrender. As the church approached its 50th anniversary in 1958, Nazarenes gauged whether the church had been faithful to its original purpose and mission. The year started with watch night services in which Nazarenes prayed for a lost world and confessed their own spiritual needs. In October, about 4,500 Nazarenes trekked to Pilot Point, Texas, where various speakers, including witnesses to the 1908 gathering, invoked the spirit of the pioneers. 
The salvation of souls was the church's objective. And the general superintendent, while scriptural holiness, oh, I'm sorry, and the general superintendent said, while scriptural holiness was the theme song or distinguishing doctrine of the church's founders, God had given Nazarenes a particular mission, the spread of the message full of salvation. Scriptural holiness as a second definite work of divine grace over the earth. The church dare not become just another denomination, the general superintendent warned, lest it stagnate like the rest. Again, we, we cannot be effective until we surrender. If we are not surrendered, we need some serious introspection. I mean, have we ever truly surrendered? Coming to Christ is not a commitment. It's a complete surrender of self. Paul called himself a slave to Christ. Jesus said to pick up your cross and follow him. I mean, this was a death sentence to self. No one survived a Roman crucifixion. They broke your knees if you lasted too long. You were doomed. When you follow Christ, it is to the abandonment of your desires and your dreams. You become captive to Christ in the calling on your life. I mean, what's, you know, there's a difference between commitment and surrender. When you make a commitment, you're still in control, no matter how noble the thing you commit to. You can commit to pray, to study the Bible, to give money, or to commit to automobile payments, or to lose weight. Whatever you choose to do, you commit to it. But surrender is different. If someone holds a gun and asks you to lift your hands in the air as a token of surrender, you don't tell that person what you're committed to. You simply surrender. And you do as you're told. And that's what made the early Church of the Nazarene so successful, like I just read. The founder of the Nazarenes, Phineas Brzee, once said, We are debtors to every man to give him the gospel in the same measure as we have received it. In other words, if Christ was so good to us, how can we keep him from others? He gave himself for all men. Who are we to hold back from them? And so that's the question. Are you surrendered? Have you given yourself to Christ? I'm not just talking about salvation. Of course, if you're listening and you've never given your heart to Jesus, I ask you to today. There are just a few things I know for certain. I know that we are all eternal beings. While these bodies may be temporary, I know that God created us and with an eternal soul. I know also that all of us are going to die and that our souls are going to spend eternity in one of two places. See, God dwells in heaven where things are perfect and where he wants each and every one of us to join him when we die. But there's a problem because... Each of us bears sin in us. We can't make it there. 
no matter how little or how much you sin in life, whether you just lied once or stole a candy bar from a store or whether you're a serial killer, it really doesn't matter. Sin small or big cannot dwell in the presence of God. We can't make it to heaven. We are all doomed to die and go to hell. But there's good news because God wants us in heaven. And we, he wants us to join him so much. He loves us so much that one day he decided to clothe himself in flesh and come down here as the man, Jesus Christ. He lived 33 years. He never sinned, but living as a perfect man, then he paid the price of sin for all of us. He was nailed to a cross and took the sins of all mankind for all time on himself and made a way for us to go to heaven. His blood washes away our sin. His death opened the gates of heaven for us. And all he asks is for you to believe and accept him into your life. But if you're a believer and you're listening and you've heard all of this, and ask yourself, what is it that you're holding back from God? What is he asking from you that you're not giving him? Are you experiencing his presence in your life? Are you experiencing his power over your life? Is he blessing you? Or has church service become routine? Is your spiritual life empty? Is it hollow? If so, I really trust that God is pointing that out that area of your life. And I just ask you to stop running. Don't be Jonah. If you want to experience God's power, if you want to experience true peace and joy, stop running and just give it to God. You see, if you read the rest of the story of Jonah, you notice that there's no happy ending. Jonah eventually goes to the city of Nineveh and he preaches a half-hearted message. But even through that half-hearted message, God uses it, and the entire city repents of their sin and turns to God. The Bible says that there were 120,000 souls in the city. But instead of rejoicing, Jonah becomes bitter. The Bible says he became furious with the city's conversion. And the book of Jonah ends with God rebuking the prophet. You see, Jonah committed to following the command of God. He did the very least he could do. Is that what you're doing? And sure, you go to church, you pray, maybe you read your Bible, but you don't witness. And you have things in your life that God has asked you to give up. See, we never see anything else about Jonah in the Bible. His story ends with a rebuke, and we never find out anything else about him. He could very well have been another Moses, another Samuel, or Elijah, but instead he ends in obscurity. What will happen with your life? Are you just going to coast by? Are you just going to do the basics, ignore God? Or will you fully surrender to him and see what works he may do through you? What legacy will you leave behind?
Will you be a stumbling block for unbelievers? Or will you be someone who brings people into the faith? It's entirely up to you. If there's something between you and God, trust me, it's not worth it to keep it in your life. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the Bible Chat Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. Um, Like I said, the next one or two episodes will probably be on just Bible characters, and then I'll put another poll up to decide the uh, subject and content of the next next group of episodes. Um, I'm still looking for more feedback. I've gotten a little bit of interaction on the Facebook page, but I hope that you guys will take the time to um, really comment and give me ideas on what you want to learn about. Um, again, you can reach me one of three ways. Um, you can get a hold of me on the Facebook page, just at Bible Chat. Um, and you can shoot me a message on there. Uh, I've been putting up different things, um, articles, polls, uh, quotes from different church leaders. Um, and, you know, I just hope that you guys are enjoying that as well. You can get a hold of me on there. Uh, you can also shoot me an email if that's more your thing at um, Bible Chat Podcast 84 at gmail.com. And then you can also uh, find me on Patreon if you really enjoy the show and would like to support it. Um, it's all very much appreciated. And I'm Bible Chat Podcast on Patreon. And you'll find my page on there with different tiers uh, that you'd be able to give monthly or whatever you feel moved to do. It's entirely up to you. And just know that anything is appreciated. Any interaction is appreciated. Um, I'm really enjoying hearing from some of you and seeing some of you engage a little bit. Um, But until next time, this is the Bible Chat Podcast, and I am your host, Caleb Sowers, and I really hope that you enjoy, and uh, we'll see you soon, I guess. Mm -hmm.